Thank you so much, John. Very appropriate prayer, not only for the preaching of God's word, but for our communion time together. So as we prepare our hearts to share the Lord's Supper together, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're studying through the Gospel of John, and we come this morning to the end, the very end of chapter 13. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 13 and verses 31 through 38. And this is what we read. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Well, our first point this morning Our first point this morning is the cross and the glory of God. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the tragic life of Judas Iscariot. Last Sunday morning, we looked at a difficult passage. Not difficult to interpret, but difficult because it was dark. It was hard seeing the one who would betray the master or the one he called master and Lord for three years. Judas was a professed disciple of Jesus. Judas witnessed the miracles of Jesus firsthand. Judas heard the teaching of Jesus firsthand. Judas was involved in many of the same ministries as the other disciples. And yet Judas was a false disciple who never embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he fooled all of the other disciples for approximately three years. He fooled all of them. They all thought he was as, as sincere and devout a follower of Jesus as they were. They made him the keeper of the money bag. They made him their treasurer. They trusted him. Even when he leaves the Passover supper, when Judas leaves, most of them still do not know that he is the one who will betray Jesus. But at the Passover supper, Jesus identified Judas as his betrayer. He said, the one with whom I take the morsel, dip it and give it to him. The one I give that morsel to, he is the one that is going to betray me. And we saw those two frightening verses last week. Verse 27 of chapter 13 it says, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan 
entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Judas evidently had so rejected the true identity of Jesus and had so repeatedly refused to embrace him fully as his Lord and Savior, the only hope of salvation. He had so rejected it and done it so repeatedly that eventually he became open to the dastardly work of Satan. And it says that Satan actually entered into him. And Jesus says, what you are going to do, do quickly. It is now time. It is now time for all the events of the cross. So what you have to do, do it quickly. And I believe, as I shared last week, that Jesus was not only talking to Judas, he was also talking to Satan. And then that other frightening verse, verse 30, it says, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. And John, the Apostle John adds that so graphically. Judas realizes that he's been discovered. And so now he's going to go out and he's going to follow through on his plans with the Jewish religious leaders to betray Jesus. And the Bible says it was night. It was not only night physically. It was night because Satan was there. It was not only night physically, but it was night because there was pitch blackness in the soul of Judas. And that brings us to our passage this morning. When Judas leaves the room, Jesus announces that it is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. In verse 31, it says, when he had gone out. And I just want all of us to pause right there. When Judas had gone out, when he had gone out into the darkness, when he had gone out into the night, Jesus then says, now, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus was about to receive his ultimate glory in what seems like the most contradictory way. He would receive his greatest glory in his death, resurrection, and ascension. And now is the time. He was going to be the ultimate Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sins of the world. He was going to be the last, the final, the ultimate Passover Lamb. He was going to provide a full and free salvation for all who would believe in him. And he would be glorified in great glory for his sacrifice on the cross for us. And so he says, now, now that Judas has gone out, now that the plan is in place, now is the Son of Man glorified. And any time God the Son is glorified, God the Father is glorified. And when God the Father glorifies the Son, then God the Son is glorified. They always work in perfect harmony. They always work together as we have seen throughout the Gospel of John. And notice at the end of verse 32, it says, And God is going to glorify him at once. 
So in verse 33, Jesus says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I'm about to be glorified. And everything's going to change. I've been with you physically for these last three years, but now everything is about to change. And notice what he calls them, little children. It is a very tender intimate, parental term. Oh, he says to the eleven now, because Judas is gone, my little children. The word picture here is beautiful. It is of a mother or a father who is willing to suffer, who is willing to do anything to protect and provide for their children. So he says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. I'm only going to be with you a little longer. You will seek me, but where I am going, you cannot come. Now, we're going to come back to verses 34 and 35. What I want you to do as you follow along in your Bibles, I want you to drop down to verses 36 through 38. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Peter, I'm going to die. I'm going to ascend to the Father in heaven. And right now, you can't follow me. You can't follow me there. But you will follow afterward. Someday you will follow me. Someday you're going to die. And then you will follow me to heaven. Peter, in just a matter of years, would be crucified upside down. He would die for the faith. He would die for his master. And then he would follow him. But at this point, in the upper room, at the Passover supper, Peter still does not understand and Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Lord, I, I don't understand where you're going, but I know this. I will follow you, and I'll lay down my life for you. And I loved what one writer said, Peter, always so zealous, so emotional. But he always underestimated the power of his own sin. And isn't that true of us? So zealous to do some things, but sometimes we underestimate the power of our own flesh. And Jesus answered, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In the Jewish day, there were four watches of the night. The first watch was from six in the evening until nine in the evening. The second watch was from nine until midnight. That was considered the middle of the night, and thus we get our term, even today, midnight. And so that was considered the middle of the night from nine until midnight. And then from 12 until 3 a.m., 
was considered the earliest part of the morning. It was also known as the time when the rooster would crow. The rooster would crow normally around 3 in the morning. And then there would be the fourth watch of the night from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That would be considered in the Jewish day morning. And Jesus says to Peter, in the upper room, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you that before the rooster crows in the third watch of the night, before the rooster crows this very night, Peter, this very night, by the time the rooster crows about 3 a.m., you will have already you will have already denied that you even knew me three times, Peter. Well, that brings us back to verses 34 and 35. Our second point this morning is a new commandment. At the Passover supper, after Judas has left, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, a commandment that will brand them as followers of Jesus. In verse 34, in one of the best-known verses, probably apart from like John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in John, the Gospel of John, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is a new commandment I give to you. For centuries, students of the Bible have asked the question, why does he call it a new commandment? I mean, even in the Old Testament, we're taught to love one another. Way back in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, God, through Moses, instructed the children of Israel, love your neighbor as yourself. And all throughout the Old Testament, there are commandments that we are to love others and do good to others. So why does Jesus call it a new commandment? Well, the explanation is really embedded in the verse itself. He says, a new commandment I give you, or I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. The Savior of the world has now come. Messiah has come. He has shown them how to love, and he is going to give them the power to love. In that sense, it is a new commandment. Because they are to love one another just as Jesus has loved them, and they are to love one another in the resurrection power that Jesus will give to them. His love will be engrafted to them. In that sense, it is a new commandment because no one before that had ever been taught or empowered the way they were. And remember the context of John 13. He has washed their feet. Jesus, taking the point of the lowest possible servant, sacrificing himself to show love to his disciples in an act of great humiliation. He washes their feet and then says to them, now do to one another as I have done to you. So in that sense, 
No one had ever been instructed to love in quite that way before. In that sense, it is a new commandment. And then in verse 35, Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I want you to think with me. He's going to leave them. They had been with him for three years. And everywhere they went, they said, there's the disciples of Jesus. See, he's with them. Wherever Jesus goes, they go. There are the disciples of Jesus. And he says, no longer. No longer will you be known or marked by the fact that you're physically with me from now on. They will know that you are my disciples if you look, excuse me, if you love one another. From now on, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another just as I have loved you. And isn't that so interesting that loving one another becomes the most distinguishing mark of a Christian? He doesn't say, if you carry your Bible with you wherever you go, they'll know you are a Christian. He doesn't say, if you go to church, they'll know you're a Christian. Doesn't say if you wear Christian t shirts, they'll know you are a Christian. And don't misunderstand me, all those things are fine, they're good things. But what's going to distinguish you in the eyes of the world is your love for one another. That's how important this is. And not only does that distinguish you, but Jesus is saying this. This is how you will know whether or not someone is truly born again. That's powerful. You want to know how someone's truly born again? How they truly give evidence that they're saved? You ever wonder in your own heart sometimes, how do I even know if I'm saved? Not the only mark, but the most important mark is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone is unable and unwilling to love other Christians, they have to ask themselves whether they've really been redeemed, whether they've really been transformed by the Spirit of God. No one in the entire New Testament picked up on this more. No one picked up on this more than the Apostle John, the author of the Gospel of John. He also wrote, as you may know, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in his first letter, 1st John, it is filled. It is filled with references to John 13, verses 34 and 35. Filled. Let me give you two examples. 1st John 3, 14. John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because... Because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know that we're saved because we love the brothers. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Who's born of God? Who knows God? Those who love one another. Those who love one another. And it is, isn't it interesting that in Sunday nights, on that first Sunday night of the month, we're going over the one another verses for the next year or two. Because this is so important. Because this is the distinguishing mark of whether or not you are a believer. One other thing I want to emphasize to you before we share communion this morning. I think it's fascinating to me anyway. Keep in mind that the Passover supper that Jesus and his disciples are sharing is about to become the Lord's Supper. In all four Gospels, there's that transition point where the Passover supper in the upper room becomes communion. It becomes the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says this, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, gave it to them. On the night when he was betrayed, he took the cup and gave it to them. On the night he was betrayed, on that very night, the Passover supper that they had celebrated for hundreds of years now becomes in Christianity the Lord's Supper. It becomes communion. So I want you to think about that as you share the Lord's Supper together this morning. When you take communion, always remember the Lord's Supper points us to the glory of the Son of Man. The very fact that you eat the bread and drink the cup reminds you that Jesus received his greatest glory when he was crucified and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Every time you take the bread and the cup, you are to remember that was the greatest glory that Jesus could receive when he laid down his life for you. When you take communion, always remember that the Lord's Supper reminds us that for now, Jesus is physically in heaven, but someday we will be with him. Someday we will be with him. For now, for now, we walk by faith and not by sight. But someday, someday, we will walk by sight. We will see him face to face. When you take communion, Every time you take communion, always remember this, that the Lord's Supper, that it was when Jesus was sharing the Lord's Supper with his disciples that he said that the distinguishing mark of every true Christian is our love for one another. Did you ever think about that? That happened at communion. That happened at the Lord's Supper. It was during the Lord's Supper that Jesus said to his disciples, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So at this time, we are going to share the Lord's Supper together. If you're visiting with us this morning, maybe you're visiting here physically, maybe you're watching by live stream this morning. I just want to let you know that one deacon is going to pray for the bread and the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together. And then when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture and we will eat and drink together. If you're watching by live stream this morning, 
While the deacons are serving communion, we encourage you to use this as a special time of meditation and reflection. So at this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.